Hey, John. Merlin, man. John. Ah. How's it going? Savior of the universe. Queen just gets better with age. Oh, really? Wow. That's quite a statement. I. Yes. I, I really mean, think that I think their uh, strongest stuff in the mid seventies still sounds really fresh. I think Killer Queen. Oh, oh, I thought you said Ween. Oh, oh, oh! I was gonna be like, right. well, you're off to the races. Don't get too close <laughs> to my fantasy. <laughs> no, Queen is wonderful. Totally excellent. <laughs> I can see the confusion. Hey, John, yeah, how's it going? I was like, and then you were like, yeah, there's stuff in the 70s. I was uh-huh. like, I am not following this. Yeah. They, they had to make their own Scotch Guard back then. Mm. Um, uh, did you, you use Scotch Guard? Because we sure did. Well, they claim that they used to inhale Scotch Guard. Hmm. I um, think that's plausible. Yeah. They, they're, a, they're a hell of a band. But Queen, here's the thing. Go, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead I, just, I, I want to close, oh, the, I want to, as you say, close the loop on Queen. All I'm going to say about why that we is... Close the loop on Queen? I got two things on Queen. One is that their yeah. stuff, from especially the mid-70s, which I think is some of their strongest stuff, really still holds up great. And I think something like, like I say, like Killer Queen, or especially a song that just gets better every time I hear it is Somebody to Love. I've heard that song probably a hundred times, and I, I still think it is... I mean... Bohemian Rhapsody is great. I mean, it re- there's a reason that that was whatever the greatest selling single in UK history or whatever. But I really think Somebody to Love has so much going for it. That's part one. And you can feel free to respond. Part two mm. is songs I did not like from Queen or I thought were off brand for Queen have really grown on me over the years. Yeah. Are like, you, uh, Don't are Stop you? Me Now. Don't Stop Me Now. I, at the time, I was like, mm, I don't know. But it's really grown on me over the years. I want to ride my bicycle. Want to I ride want to ride my, my bike. Where I like. <laughs> you say coke? Good. I say cane. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, that's my feeling on that. You know, Roy Thomas Baker. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, yeah, I've met Roy, Roy Thomas Baker. We talked about him. He's got great hair. This guy's old days. Yep, wait, you did the mic again. Hit your mic. Oh, something happened. Yeah. Hang on. It's, it's popping and locking. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It just it it needed to pop and lock. It's a little bit of a. I've got a break dancing mic. It's uh, oh, is that right? Lefty, Lucy, left the locket. Beat Street, the king of the beat. See you rocking that beat from across the street. Boom, boom. I watched. uh, What is the one? What's the Wild Style? I watched Wild Style a couple weeks ago. Uh, uh, apropos nothing. Well, you know what it was. I watched that uh, that hip hop documentary, Hip Hop Evolution. Oh yes. And uh, you know, it's funny. You know, there's a term the the millenniums use, triggering. So, like, yeah. y- you just show me the tiniest clip of Grandmaster Flash mm-hmm. uh, beat mixing in his in his little kitchenette while Fab Five Freddy looks on. You just show me... That like, sends you right back? You, well, you, you know the scene I'm talking about? It's, 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 I didn't know it was from Wildstyle, because I'd never seen Wildstyle, but I've seen in many of the documentaries I've seen over the years, there's a very famous scene, you know, and Grandmaster Flash invented, like, three or four of the most important things that we consider turntablism today. Mm-hmm. And you see this on display in whatever that was by that time, 1982, and that uh, sent me back. It's a pretty good movie. The, f- the story's mm-hmm. kind of flimsy, but you get the graffiti, you get the break dancing, you get the mm-hmm. turntabling. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a thing. 
over the over the years, this is not a thing I ever would have guessed. Let's say 1987. I never would have said if you'd come up to me and said, "Would you, over the years subsequent to now, ever find yourself in a, a romantic situation with a fly girl?" Oh, I would have said there's very little chance of me it being in a romantic uh, scenario with a fly girl, mm-hmm. with a girl that is even remotely fly. I can let think alone of a, a lot of fly girl. A lot of preferential and practical reasons why that just seemed like a non-starter. Yeah, right. I mean, if you he had probably said, didn't How? run into a lot of fly girls to begin with. Well, I or I cert- I wouldn't I wouldn't have at the time thought to myself I'm going to be seeking fly girls. I was seeking pixies. If you had said, how many, you know, would you think you'll ever be in a romantic situation with a pixie? Mm-hmm. I would have said yes. God willing. If you had said, <laughs> what about someone with the uh, bangs that covered most of their eyes? I would have said yes. Mm-hmm. God willing. Uh, but uh, but not a fly girl. I would not have thought that I would have been uh, uh, with anybody that had ever done any kind of fly dancing well it just kind of wasn't your scene right but time is a funny task mistress <laughs> and as time has gone on and my path has gone its tumble bum way stumble bum way if mm-hmm. you will mm-hmm. uh and there, are you know and fly girls of course are out in the world going along their own paths mm-hmm. it's turned out that my path and fly girl paths have inner intersected more than once and it's really an eye-opener yeah um to be exposed to fly girl fly girl culture uh it's very it's very fly can you give me a a rough idea on date range here when this fly girl incident happened incidents uh, over the course of time Hmm. uh over the course of time you know because i think this wasn't a one-off you're saying this wasn't a one-off fly girl no 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 it's uh it's a it's a thing where i think Fly girls, uh, you know, they're speeding along, right? They they achieve a certain velocity in their own lives. Yeah. And then somewhere out in a distant point where you think, once upon a time, when I was listening to Van Morrison in some ski lodge outside of Spokane, uh, trying to see if I if we could if everybody at the table could scrape scrape their pipes enough to get enough resin to get us all high, and somewhere somewhere else, you know. Uh, there was, you know, like living color was on and people were, uh, you know, were wearing like uh, uh, hammer pants and, and doing fly moves. Maybe a Kangle. Never the twain shall have met. Right. Mm-mm. But then later on in life, yep. you're standing around. You're like, here we all are, you know, waiting for the uh, waiting for the Meineke to open because uh, <laughs> we all we all got everybody's got muffler problems at a certain point. Right. Got to get muffled. You're standing around. My car's loud. Mine too. Mm-hmm. Why are you here at eight in the morning? Well, it's the only time I could get because of this and because of that. Oh, this me place too. is wick wick whack. And then it's like, well, we got an hour to hour to kill while our mufflers are getting changed. Do you want to go get a go across the street and get a donut? Sure. You know, and one thing t- trends into another, and you're like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from here. Oh, me not. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. Plug, you unplug your mic again. That's what I'm saying. It's the hip. It's the. It's, the, um, it's a hip hop. Hip hop microphone. It's the hip, it's the hip hop. A hippity hop, and you don't stop rocking. 
Uh, that's what the problem is. And yeah. so it started, oh, oh. It started uh, and, and this is the funniness of this test, Mistress. It started in a Meineke muffler shop. That's, mm, that that's the genesis. Be... Yes. Uh, yes. How, how does one ask this question? What was the um, ethnic makeup of the fly girl? Well, the thing about fly girls is it's often ambiguous. Mm. You know, as time as time has gone on, um, was she strictly we, was she strictly white, John? N- no. Okay. And it's not a, it's not just she. Well, you, you need see to, you why know, I ask you though? To pluralize this. Well, you see why I ask though? Because there's a really big difference between meeting a white fly girl in a Meineke muffler waiting room mm. and having her be be a not not 100 white fly girl because that, that's a different kind of fly girl. The thing is that uh, that fly is a is an appellation that can be attached to a lot of different behaviors. Yeah. You can be very. I mean, I consider myself now extremely fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, yeah, right. Hip hop dance was a thing that was um, that was an early melting pot in the music cultures. Um, everyone was everyone that could dance. You know, could get up and dance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, um, but also, you know, Merlin, we're all trending, I think, in the direction of being just sort of mochaccino. That's, oh, our, oh, that's yeah. our future. That's, future that's, the great, that's the great arc of history. Yeah, the arc mm-hmm. of history is toward, toward um, mochaccinodom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so, you know, I you say know, God I, bless it. Yeah, and love, see no color. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Ja. I had, I have many, many uh, miniature memories here. One is I remember in uh, circa 1988, most, most white people were still saying rap music. And, you know, hmm. the rap is the music, hip-hop is the culture, however you want to break it up. But, but hip-hop was emerging as the, the au courant term, even in the late in, 80s. In 88, really? Among people that you knew? Or is this something this that they're saying in a documentary? The height, well, no, this is near the height of my interest in this uh, music in particular. I, you know, the breakdancing and the graffiti and the whatnot wasn't so much. But, like, you know, really digging, uh, what, Public Enemy and... Um, of course, the Beastie Boys. But I mean, Boys. I think I, I would have said, I would have, I think, looking back, I would have kept saying rap for a lot longer. Rap, and then, but then rap, I feel like kind of in the culture, rap made a big comeback as a term, as a disparaging term, during like the <clears throat> Ice-T uh, and, uh, and two live crew controversies, you know, rap became kind of code. It's like saying urban in some ways. But hmm. hip hop, hip hop, I thought was the only reason I mentioned this is hip hop was on the ascent as a term, and, and I'm going to say this, and this is not going to sound funny in 2017, but in about 1988, I said to my uh, my my best friend in college, I said to Michael, uh, "Hey, where's uh, name of your girlfriend?" She said, "Oh, oh, she's uh, this morning. She's uh, teaching hip hop dance lessons," and I laughed hmm. harder than I think I'd ever laughed in my entire hmm. life that there was a white college girl teaching something. That there even existed something called hip hop dance lessons, but that mm. it was taught by by a live yoga taking uh, brunette girl. Now it's a uh, it's a full fledged uh, exercise. Yeah, it's like, like what's that? It's like uh, a, like jumbo or mambo or uh, what's it called zumba yeah. zumba zumba. Is that zumba is the vacuum. What's the one they do at the tennis court near my house? That, that that's is it zumba. Handball. Handball. That's it. There's all kinds yeah. of ways you can uh, incorporate, uh, you know, hip hop into your Zumba. There it is. There, there was a time when you could name a sport handball and nobody would laugh. It's got two dick jokes in it. 
In yeah, China. you couldn't do it now, right? Yeah, no, you couldn't, no absolutely couldn't not. call something handball now. That's why nobody <laughs> that's, plays that's handball. That's really funny, anymore. handball. I hadn't really thought about that. <laughs> I was driving yesterday. I decided I uh, there was there's one place in Washington that I I'm sorry, not in Washington, but in in King County in my neighborhood, basically, that I couldn't quite figure out. And it's one of those things. Maybe you've had this too, where you're coming in for a landing on an airplane and you're looking out the window. And you look down, you go, yeah, I know where that is. I know where that is. But there was always this thing where it was like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Like, where is that? How do I get from hither to thither? And I would see it out the airplane, and I, but it wasn't between anywhere and anywhere. It was a it was a place that I was going to need to dedicate a day. Did you know roughly? Go... Did you know roughly geographically where you were? Oh, I knew it. I knew where it was. It's just that, you know, because. Uh, Seattle was once under a, a large glacier. Hmm. Uh, the entire uh, region was covered by glacier. And as a consequence, there are long ridges um, that run north-south um, from you know Canada down to, let's say, the um, Columbia River. And the glacier, the extent of the glacier, now I'm talking about the um, the Pleistocene, is that how you pronounce it? Pleistocene? Pleistocene, is that, yeah. Um, uh, we're talking about that era, like the, the ice sheet, ice sheet glacier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, uh, it didn't go all the way to Portland, but it did cover this region. Anyway, so there are a lot of these long, thin north to south running uh like hills right through capitol hill is one queen anne hill uh, lake washington is a dredged long north south dredged lake huh. puget sound really created by these glaciers i did not know any of this yeah it's uh um, you, you unplugged your mic again oh hip so is it popping or is it going to be popping is marco going to write a article about it is, Gr- is gruber going to write an article about it there's a pretty good there's a pretty good chance also also marco says you're using the wrong headphones just so you know no matter what uh, you're you using, know what? They're, they're the wrong headphones i just ordered a pair of headphones you're not using the sm7b right uh right now no i'm not good because he's had it he's had it with people using the sm7b marco's over that I'm using the B-caster, and Marco's going to have to get himself... He's going to have to get right with time, mm. right with history. But the other day, I uh, I was looking at headphones, and I went to Wirecutter, and there were 7,500 different... You know about Wirecutter. That's exciting. Yeah. I didn't know you knew about Wirecutter. Yeah, 7,500 different options, and they were telling me the best ones if I wanted Bluetooth noise-canceling headphones that would look really good if I lived in an apartment in London that overlooked the Thames. Mm-hmm. And then I saw my trusty old Sony 7506s, uh, which I'm using right now, hmm. and I've had since 1999, and they're completely thrashed. And oh, the, my God. Are they all peely? Oh, they, I peeled all the peely off. Oh it my got so peely that I just peeled them off. <laughs> it's all foam. And the, the, the jack has been jacked so many times that I have to put it exactly right to get it to be in stereo. Otherwise, it just monos itself. Uh, but I ordered a new pair of them, which are, I believe, arriving today. Oh, exciting. Yeah, because I was like, I want to hear things in stereo all the time. I don't yeah. want to have to futz with it. Anyway, so this uh, this very large glacier that used to cover all of <laughs> Washington 
uh, which created a, a lot of Washington's geography was created by glaciation and its uh, attendant effects. The, the glacier would come down and a giant lake would form behind it that would encompass most of Montana. And then the, the, the ice dam would break, Merlin. The ice dam would break periodically. Hmm. And, and biblical floods would scour the entire region. And, if you and go that, that's what eastern, causes the north-south ridges? The scrapes? No. No, 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 no. The scrapes are from actual glaciers, like, scraping. Whoa. But the, but the uh, floods were so big that if you go into eastern Washington now, uh, you can go, if you go up in an airplane, you can see ripples in the ground, like the ripples you would see at, under, at the bottom of a little stream. Mm-hmm. gigantic ripples across the entire landscape that formed when he, massive floods would roll over the uh, ripples that when you're on the ground it just seems like rolling hills but from up in from up in the sky it it, it you know you can see that it's actually like wave, formed by waves this is out in the desert in the country wow pretty interesting but, but so you're so, on a plane so I was coming down for landing, and on one of these ridges that characterize the Northwest, it's a ridge. It's a ridge without a home, right? On the one side, it it drops a giant cliff down to uh, down to the Green River Valley, and the valley is very flat, and it's it used to be all farms, and now it's all distribution warehouses. Uh, and so. So on one side, it's a huge cliff, and there's only like maybe a half a dozen roads that go up the side of it. And on the other side is I-5. So there's this long, long, long strip that goes the top of this ridge that goes all the way from Seattle to Tacoma. And it's very narrow, the, the, the top of it, and there's no reason to be there. Right? If, you're, if you want to go for, to Tacoma, you can go down this freeway. That's right there. And if you want to go down the farm country, you can go down the farm side. Why would I drive this ridge, you know? It's not, and there's no, like, one road. It's not, mm-hmm. it was very confusing. Very confusing. You, you knock your mic out again. Hip, 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 There's something very interesting about today. Mm-hmm. Would you know what it is before I resume that story? Let's see. Uh, let's see. Civil War officially ended, I think, yesterday. Hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Is it an anniversary or is that a nonce, as they say in England? Uh, it's a nonce. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, here's Uh, the story. Okay. Uh, so today is the first day of spring break here in Seattle. Oh. And so, uh, my little girl is here with me today. (sighs) And we've never experimented with this, which is um, I'm podcasting while she's here. And I said, now go, because usually she's in school at this time. Mm-hmm. I said, now go go play on the big carpet and daddy will be doing his podcast. And she said, okay. And I said, now don't come up with any kind of little invented problem. And she said, that's fine. So... Uh, now, as we've been talking, there's been a creeping shadow in my doorway, mm-hmm. and at one point, I thought you might have gotten a corgi. I could, I, it sounded like some corgi <laughs> movement. Yeah, there was a little bit of movement that sounded corgi-like. Uh, <laughs> then she peeked her head around the door, and I said, mm-hmm. and then 
Um, she, in an attempt to be very quiet, some bunch of marbles tumbled down the stairs. So she was being very quiet, and I think spilled like fourteen marbles. It's down a the lot stairs. to ask of somebody her age. It is. It's really actually. No, I'm not being. I'm not kidding. It's a lot to ask. Yeah. No, it is. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard fourteen marbles go down a flight of stairs. I bet you have, <laughs> but it's not the. It's not like strictly in the family of being quiet, like Daddy asked. <laughs> And now she's lurking in the doorway, playing with a stuffed rabbit, mm-hmm. and I'm not... So I have to just ch- briefly check in. Okay. Sweetie, is everything okay? Yeah. You just wanted to see what Daddy was doing, but you don't need anything. No. Okay. Okay, good. You're doing a very good job. Yeah. That is a good question. She said, when the UPS guy comes, because I told her that the UPS guy was coming, I said, don't be worried if a UPS guy comes on the steps. (laughs) She just said, if he comes to the door, do I have to answer the door? Good question. And I'm going to say, no, you do not have to answer the door. The door is locked. If you want, you can look out the window and point down and say, put the box in front of the door and then amscray. But you don't have to do that either. You can just hide in your room. The UPS guy will figure it out. Sound good? Okay, good. As as by way of saying yes, she just uh, with her tongue went a blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Works for me. Which I guess is international sign of saying yes. Uh, spring break. So, yeah, spring break. So we're we've got a lot of action planned. Oh oh yeah. What what you uh, you plan anything special? Oh, we're just going to go around, you know. We went to go... Harry Potter land. We don't have that here. I know. I know. You could go see a glacier. We may. We may. Mm-hmm. That'd be a little bit of a drive, but... What's your weather like right now? I um, guess I could look for this myself. Has, this has been the coldest, rainiest winter in a long time, and I think maybe even the rainiest winter on record. Hmm. Well, that's, that's, that's saying something, right? Yeah, it is. None of the flowers are blooming. The rhododendrons aren't blooming. The rhododendrons usually will would have bloomed a month ago. I have no tulips. I have oh, no, no. There's nothing. It's just like pure desolation. The only thing growing is uh, like scrub grass and dandelions. You you would not believe how different things are here because we finally got rain. <clears throat> there's been a historic drought for years in um, yeah it's but i mean it's actually it's one of the small bits of good news in the last <laughs> however long but like first of all the the official official double secret probation drought has finally been called off the the like really well yeah i mean it's been pretty pretty bad and so uh governor brown finally said okay we're going to take off the double secret probation uh you know restrictions but uh, which is good but you know it's good we've all learned to be much more careful with water but here's the amazing part i think you'd enjoy this anecdote uh when we did our little trip for spring break we drove which is so much better than flying oh my god it was amazing to drive around california rather than fly around california um Mm -hmm. but you know what's happened is uh in addition to uh you know less of the need for super strict conservation although it's still a good idea uh it's brought back i mean used to be you you know what it's like you drive through california and everything's brown i mean just not just lawns not just parks but like those beautiful like rolling hills you see in central california like those have been brown for as long as i can remember not only are they like shasta like was just 
so awful. Everything, I mean, you know, Tahoe, like everything has, has been affected by this. But the great news is, first of all, the green is back, which is nice. But here's the other cool thing. Wildflowers that have not bloomed for something like a decade are blooming for the first time in years. And it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like people are like in places where like I had no idea there were even wildflowers here. And it's, it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really, you know, it sounds silly, but it's kind of lovely to drive around and have it not just, you know, look like Mad Max or something. It doesn't sound silly. I, I've been I've been blown away by you know because the first times I went to California, and drove, you know, uh, drove throughout the state. <laughs> it was during a wet period, I guess. You know the the late eighties, mid to late eighties, and it was like that. The hills around San Francisco were, you know, for for a lot of the spring and into early summer, and then starting in the fall, they were green and lush, mm-hmm. and it was like a, it just seemed like paradise down there. Um, and Shasta was all the way full, and the rivers were running high, and and um, you know, you really got the feeling of 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 what a garden California was. And then when the drought started and the lakes went down, it was kind of like, oh boy, this is a bad couple of years. But then it it never stopped, and the lakes went down and down and down, and everything died. And it was, I mean, it was a tragedy for me, even as a Washingtonian who was sitting up here gloating. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, lol, water wars, lol. But then <laughs> when I would drive in California, I was like, oh, no, I love it here. Yeah. And all those cranks up in Northern California who were putting billboards on the side of the road and saying, like, this used to be good farmland, but the government killed it with their damn, you know, didn't they didn't agree to the they're not giving us the water for political reasons. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, there's no water dinglings. It's already such a precarious system. I mean, (laughs) yeah, you can't grow strawberries up here anymore. Like almonds. Maybe they should try coal mining, John. (laughs) <laughs> I understand it's coming back bigly. Coal, coal mining's bigly. Yeah, it is. It's bigly. I was just up at a uh, in a coal neighborhood here in uh, in Seattle just yesterday. Did you see the uh, coal mining museum in Kentucky that's switching to solar? <laughs> it's not financially feasible so to not great. to not switch to solar at this point. <laughs> so great. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a town here called Black Diamond. Ooh. I think you can. I think you can gather what the black diamond, the the uh, titular black diamond. Yeah, is. it's a tri- tribute to the uh, Kiss song. Mm-hmm. 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 It's about uh, skiing, but no, it's about coal. Oh, sorry. Black diamond. That's, in my dictionary, that's the third definition. <laughs> black diamond. You go <laughs> after you go, kiss. Yeah, you got like your know, Paul Stanley song, right? You got mm-hmm. skiing thing. Mm-hmm. Then you got you make an actual diamond. Now, did they actually grow diamonds there? Did that happen? Uh, no, black diamond is a way of describing coal. Oh, I see. If oh, because black gold coal, is oil. Texas black tea. Gold, well, Texas tea, right? <laughs> but you know, coal is uh, is shimmery like uh, like like pyrite. It shines bright you like know, a diamond. You, yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. It does in the dark. And uh, Seattle, I mean, one of the first big. Um, the first big things that that justified the creation of Seattle was we found really rich coal deposits uh, just sort of up in the hills next to here. Coal, of course, being the pro- the produce of um, many years of compressed vegetation, and we're famous for our lush vegetation in the region. So big, thick, 
big thick seams of coal and we um we mined those and we sent it guess where san francisco no kidding we hmm. sent our coal and our lumber to san francisco and that was what made seattle an economic powerhouse in the early years um they say that all of san francisco pre-fire was built with washington lumber oh my goodness uh, and then you burned it all down with your yeah. dumb, you know, Mary's cow tipping over a yeah. bucket of fire or whatever the hell that was. Yeah. I guess it was an earthquake. Yeah, Mrs. O'Leary's earthquake. Mrs. O'Leary's earthquake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but so there are still coal mines just right to the east of town. Uh, we One of our favorite hiking spots is up on Coal Creek Road. And you can still, there are still mine shafts there. And the smell of like underground coal comes up. And there's a place called Flaming Geyser State Park, which uh, a guy was drilling a hole to see if there was any coal down there. And um, and then a bunch of gas started escaping. Oh, my. Like, com- coming up out of his hole. So, of course, you know, he's a guy. What's he going to do? Make a fart joke. Uh, he sets it on fire. Oh, jeez, Louise. Lights a match and throws it. Like, let's see what, what happens if I light this. And then... It's like Old Faithful, but with fire. Yeah, so up out of the ground came a up came not bubbling crude, Mm-mm. but a three <laughs> a three foot uh, tall uh, like tower of flame, and it's been burning ever since. Are you kidding and, me? No, oh, so they built a they built a <gasps> state park. Look room. at that! It's park. got it's little stone with a flame mm-hmm. coming out of it. That's right. Holy! How is it so, so? How's it so regular though? It seems like it would come in po- dangerous pockets. I think that it sort of just gradually, uh, sometimes it's a little higher, sometimes it's a little lower, hmm. but it doesn't like, it never flames like, okay. it just wow. kind of sits out there day and night flaming. It's a beautiful park right next to the Green River. Uh, you can go look at this little thing. It's kind of overwhelming when you get there because it's like flaming geyser. That sounds incredible. Like it's going to be 30 feet tall. It's about the size of a campground barbecue. Yeah, right. It mm-hmm. just looks like it's a pretty, it's pretty modest. It looks like it's inside of maybe a memorial park. They got some, some some stones around it. It's very very modest to say the least. Yeah, it's not even <laughs> memorial. They just put some somebody put some stones around it. I, uh-huh. I think at one point maybe uh, because in the 1950s people couldn't resist. Somebody like opened up 14 bags of concrete and built something. They poured concrete around it because <laughs> how can we make this environment more brutalist? <laughs> Yeah, they're like, I got this concrete. Great. Hey, I know. Let's go put it around the flaming geyser. Mm. But right next to it is two ponds where they, uh, where they're like farm, not farm, but like they're, um, it's like a fishery. They're making trout. Oh, there's a beautiful, beautiful little waterfall there. This is very pretty. Waterfall, yeah. And the, but the thing is, it's really. Then you go up into the gorge. There's a Green River Gorge there, and it's awesome. Just completely gnarly. You wouldn't even think. That it could be so awesome, so close to a big town. But Black Diamond is there, and you can still smell the coal coming out of it. There's just, for what it's worth, there appears to be a small but loyal genre of people being photographed next to the Flaming Geyser and making a, this is it, face. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I should have done it myself. I mean, uh, basically, it's the size of the flame is kind of like if I didn't get our burner lit on the first try, yeah. and it goes, poof. It's, yeah, it's about right. that size. And it just fluffs there, and nobody guards yeah. it. There's nothing around it. You no. could probably go put a coffee can over it and snuff it out pretty mm-hmm. easily. 
Uh, but it's been burning for a hundred years, and there it is, flaming geyser. That's cool. I, I love mean, little things like that. But it's seriously underwhelming, especially considering that the uh, the, the natural setting of it is pretty grand. What's well, a MacGuffin, right? You, you come for the geyser, you stay for the tubing. That's right. Or the gorge, right. if you like. And the huge park that's there, it's one of those parks that in the summer... You will never get in. There's no place to park. You're, you know, it's like just jammed because it's a beautiful, big, big, spacious park next to the river. But it's one of those outdoor recreation areas where 10,000 people come and only 45 people go more than 100 feet from the parking lot. Sure, sure, sure. Right? It's just blankets get laid out. Barbecues get lit. Is it like car Uh, camping kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Ribs get eaten. And seriously... 200 feet away, you're in a, a largely, like, natural environment, uh, untampered un- with natural environment. Maybe uh, if you like a, a forest primeval. Yeah, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it's been logged more than once, but it, but a long time ago, and now it's back to natural crazy forest. And it's wonderful, and and especially when it's when it's slightly misting, when it's slightly raining, which it often is up here. It's a great place to hike because nobody's there. Oh, that sounds um, magic. It's yeah, it's just it's so magic. Mm. It's kind of as mad. It's magic like um, like being in California after the drought is lifted. I mean, it's a small thing, but but it was nice. Uh, it's not a small thing. It's an enormous thing. Like you guys are now all uh, you you got a little uh, like a reprieve from your um. Your death from thirst. Mm-hmm. You were you were all there was like millions of people on the verge of thirst death. There's thirst, and that's still happening. I mean, like places like Bakersfield still. I mean, it's no Flint, but things are not great there. I mean, it's there. You just hear like, you know, California reports stories on stuff like you know where it's it's actually cheaper to buy pop at a uh, you know convenience store than water. It's like it's just mm-hmm. it's so depressing. Um, I have a question for you, though. Bakersfield was never that great, let's be honest. Well, the music's nice. We Did I ever tell you about the campground we stayed at in Bakersfield? I feel like I probably did. I don't think so. You know, when you... When you're when you're picking a place to to, to go, you, you're not always aware of the exact surroundings. And my lady planned out this really nice trip for us. This is probably I don't know ten fifteen years ago at this point, but um, it included a stop in Bakersfield. I think it was. Is that is that on the way? Is that one of the on the ways to? Yeah, that's one of the on the ways to Los Angeles, right? Sort of. I mean, it's down there, but you would have to be going through Fresno. You'd have you to do be the grapevine and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you could pop over there. Yeah. Well, at any rate, I remember it was en route to somewhere else. We wanted to not do the whole drive in one day, so we, this is not particularly interesting. But we ended up stopping at like a like a KOA, and we we got in what's called a cozy cabin with two Ks and a cozy cabin. It was like this is great. We're gonna stop. It's you know they got a place there. They got a, they got a bathroom. You know they got a, like a little shop, and uh, then you go to your cozy cabin. And number one, the cozy cabin was sort of like. This is more of a warm weather climate thing, but you know, in, in Florida, a lot of people have a shed in the backyard that's hot and full of bees. It's like a step above that. It's like there's like cots, there's like you know bunk beds in this thing, but it's pretty. Now wait, wait. It's, it, let me just get back to the Florida shed of bees. Yeah. Is that is it full of bees on purpose or is it full of bees because they they just haven't been in there in a while? Well, I think it started not being on purpose, and then eventually it just became a way of life. You know, <laughs> you got the, you got, okay, the mad, anyway. you got the mad woman in the attic. You got the bees in the shed. Uh, so crazy, crazy camp. Also, we should come back to Don Rickles. Um, 
so uh yeah so that was okay it was fine it wasn't particularly comfortable but uh a it was right next to the highway that we had just gotten off of so it was particularly as rustic as the cabin was the setting was not that great and the other thing we discovered it was uh like just past the highway was a regional airport so not only did you get the 18 wheelers going by but the occasional uh plane just going straight over your head literally all night long Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You ever have those kind of harrowing nights, those kind of harrowing, like this is just going to go on, whether that's maybe that's mosquitoes or maybe that's a light source or something. Just one of those. This is going to be an inescapable night. We just need to get through. It was one of those nights. Yeah, those are the best, aren't they? We had one there of those nights. The- another night camping, uh, our air mattress deflated and we did not realize that we were camped on top of the roots of a tree. And we didn't realize until the mattress uh, deflated. Oh, my God. That's and you know my worst. family's problem with deflating mattresses. I know you're aware uh, of this. Oh, the deflating mattress problems of the man's. <laughs> I do know about them. Uh, but that is the worst when you when you realize, like, oh, you know what? It's only 10.15 p.m. That dog is going to bark all night. That feeling. Yeah, this is already the worst night of my life. Mm-hmm. And it can only go one direction from here. Car alarm. You know? Beep, beep. Well, and the, I mean, my, the, one of the, one of my uh, signature worst nights was a night in Hungary where, uh, as soon as I turned off the light, the the clacking of the gigantic roaches. Oh God! Uh, <gasps> was was loud enough that I could not get to sleep from the clacking. Oh, that and, is eldritch horror. Yeah, and then I would turn the light on and I would go to war against these giant roaches uh, until it was just roach. Just it was just a it was pure carnage. Uh, it was like uh, the Armenia of roaches. Oh. And uh, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. That I'm sorry. That just depends. It's called the Armenia. You, you, the Armenia. Here's the thing: is you never go up against the Sicilian when death is on the line, and you never go That's to right. war with roaches. Uh, in oh, Hungary, the clacking! No. The clacking is a horrible but the clacking, sound. And then I turned off the lights, and I was like, "Listen, you know, I just need to, you know, just need to get with my happy place. I need to just get into a zone with God here." Yep. The clacking, like I, I did not make the roaches. The roaches are here, sharing the world with me. I am, you know, kumbaya. Mm-hmm. And then a roach fell off the ceiling onto me, oh, like God. onto my head area. And I was like, okay. That's, I a, that's, just, a, that's I, a nice Florida thing is uh, you just wake up with roaches on you sometimes. Yeah. just Because they're I mean, everywhere. The, People don't call them roaches. They call them water bugs. Yeah. Or palmetto bugs. bugs. That doesn't make them feel nicer. Yeah. Up, up here in the Northwest, we don't have them. Every once in a while, I think a, a, a boat would come in from a far-flung lo, far locale and it would drop off some weird little brown German roaches. Uh, but you know, like I've lived in this house for ten years, I've never seen a roach. German roaches are like the, the little critters, right? Yeah, the ones that kind of live in the. I don't know where they live. They live in uh, little sinks and stuff. The ones in Florida, had an the ones in Florida are like a couple inches long and well over half an inch wide, and yeah. some of them fly. I lived in Washington D.C. for a while and saw them pouring out of places in Ugh. the night, and it's just like this. Is so right now you good. get ants. You get ants and you get spiders. That's your that's your two big uh, critters, right? Ants and spiders are big critters. Uh, we get like little thing. We get like weird potato bugs and stink bugs and stuff, but they're not. They don't cause anybody problems. We get moths, Bana- like bananas. Moths. Stinky. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting a little bit of commentary. You getting some feedback. <laughs> a little side commentary here. Um, 
Uh, yeah, just little like there. Gen- there are a lot of bugs in the ground that are busy like churning. There we have a lot of churning bugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, churning, churning the the earth into that deep black uh, earth that we like to that we formerly farmed and now build distribution centers on. Black diamond. Black diamond, Washington. <laughs> oh, so I was driving on this road. I mm-hmm. finally got up onto this ridge. And I was like, I'm going to conquer this ridge. I have no idea what this is up here. I've never heard it referenced by anybody. There's only one person I know in the entire, I think the entire world, that even has a chance of having really explored up here. And that's my friend Chad, who has been on every road in, in I don't know, from Canada to Mexico. But even he has never referenced it. And it's just this giant this giant ridge that goes, I mean, seriously, from Puyallup to Tukwila, hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Really, two of the two of the hardest to pronounce uh, cities in the area. I, from I, could, I couldn't spell those if I tried. Puyallup and Tukwila. Uh, and this this is like, it's a giant, basically a mountain that goes from Puyallup to Tukwila. I'd never been on it. So I get up on this thing and I start to drive. And I realize why I've never been on it, and no one has, is that it is... It's a, it's completely suburbanized, and there are no connecting north-south roads. All the roads are east-west, and if you want to go north-south, what you do is you go two blocks, and then you take a left, and you go left for a block, and then you go south again for four blocks, and then you take a right and go three more blocks. Like, it's seriously, there's not a single arterial. Uh, there's one road called Military Road that kind of goes diagonal, but uh, but it's not very effective mm-hmm. at going like this. And so I'm driving through this neighborhood, and it's this weird conglomeration of like, well, there were houses up here back when it was farm country, and then there were some houses built at when it was first suburbanized, and then now there are McMansions going in implausibly hmm. on streets that have otherwise have 60 split-level homes, and now there's this giant McMansion. Just, I, I could not, I could not, um, I couldn't, like, find a center to this place. And I come around the corner, and there's a playground, and at the very back of the playground are three concrete handball courts. Huh. Of the style that they that used to be on playgrounds everywhere. Do you remember in the in the seventies, like handball courts? I do. The funny part about handball is I remember handball courts always being around and never being used for handball. Yes. They might eventually get used for kind of an outside airsats racquetball. Yes. Yeah. I have never seen a living soul play handball on an outdoor handball court that wasn't in new york city right i figure it was like stickball i figure it's something a couple di- couple kids did a few times in the 30s and nobody's mm-hmm. done it since and 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 there really was as they were building those giant municipal uh like playgrounds during the era of uh, what i think of as being the late 60s early 70s the the uh the the crest of the social engineering wave where it's like we're gonna create outdoor space for healthy youth and you know, we're going to beat the Soviets to the moon, and we're going to, yes, we're health and sports. We're going to build big, sporty sport areas, and they put handball courts in. And maybe on the opening day, some people played handball, and then the rest of the time it was just 
where you went to smoke pot. Right. In my head, I'm going to say, you remember the kerfluffle in the early 80s when, I don't even know if this is exactly precisely right, but there were changes. There were a lot of kerfluffles then. Oh, there's so many kerfluffles. Uh, under the Reagan administration, it is said that in school lunches, ketchup was reclassified as a vegetable in order to meet yes. a basic requirement of some kind. That was a great the, the kerfuffle. It was a good kerfuffle, but it was basically the idea was that it was there. It was a little bit of a hack to like be able to tick a box. I think right. that's what handball is. You think about everything out there, including, I'm going to say, basketball. What is the, maybe besides what, Foursquare and Hopscotch, what is the mm-hmm. least, what's going to have the least need for maintenance? I'm going to say, mm-hmm. I'm going to say a right angle. Mm-hmm. You know, right? You don't. You, have, you, you don't, don't have it to once, you walk away. A, you don't have to budget a teacher for it. You don't even need a net. Like, you don't need to replace a net. That's right. That's right. There's no net. Yeah. Uh, you, they, there's an elementary school over here by my house, um, and it's you know old style, late fifties elementary school, and it has like a lot of the elementary schools, like the one the one that I went to when I was a kid. It has such an enormous amount of land surrounding it there is a full-sized olympic-sized soccer field and a full-sized baseball diamond associated with this what is an elementary school right so when's the last time you saw elementary kids playing baseball right um you know it's it's not a thing that people do anymore it's not like most places you have one field with a track around it (coughs) And, and everything that can be done on a field is done there, and then you run around the track, and that's it. And that's that one, the one footprint of athleticism at most modern schools, I think. Yeah, right. A track uh, around a field. But this is that, you know, in the 50s, the land was just was cheap. Huge playground. And I go over there all the time. I used to go there when Gibson was alive and take walk him around. Um, it's just on my, it's on my, like, walk circuit. Uh, my kid and I go over to the playground there sometimes. And this enormous field is never used by anyone. Like, no one's even playing Frisbee on it. Wow. Uh, Somebody comes and mows it, but I have never seen... I would go throw the stick for the dog, and every once in a while, somebody else would be walking from one corner of it to the other corner of it. Like, there was a kind of shortcut through the neighborhood. But not even enough of a shortcut where a trail had been beaten down in the you know across the field. Sure. Because there's no no one actually wants to go from that side to the other side. There's not there's nothing either place. <laughs> and so I would I'd be out on this field and I'm just like, I could be launching model rockets from here. I could have organized I mean, there are so many intramural soccer teams around the city who are trying to book time at one of the five like soccer fields that are on their registration or card or whatever. Yeah. You could you could completely colonize these spaces if you wanted to start an RC modeling club or wanted to, I don't know, play Ultimate Frisbee. I mean, they're just fields all over town. Why, why do you think they're not getting used? I Because I think people aren't getting outside, maybe. Yeah. And also, like, schools don't... Um, I mean, I think if you tried to organize a baseball team... We used to have rock and roll softball up on Capitol Hill where the different bars would play each other. Hmm. But I don't know. Like, when was the last time you saw a group of people just playing a pickup baseball game? You don't see that a lot. 
um, there are some semi-organized adults, like so many adults, some semi-organized adults that play <laughs> softball in our park. Sometimes our park is mainly used. It's heavily segmented into different areas and used for like two or three kids soccer games at once. When was the last time you saw a flag football game? Oh, God. Probably when I was in high school or a movie. Yeah. 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 I, but I played flag football a couple of times in college in the late 80s, and I have not seen or heard of flag football since. And, and, and maybe it's that we don't live in Montana, and maybe people, maybe like grown-up people are playing football. But think about those pictures of the Kennedy brothers at Kennebunkport. Yeah. They they weren't at Kennebunkport, they were at uh, uh, Hyannisport. Hyannisport. Hyannisport, right? But they were out there throwing footballs around in their front yard, and they were all full grown men. Yeah. And uh, I haven't, you know, I haven't even had a football in my hand. You should write a medium post on this because I think there is something to this. I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. I saw a couple articles this week that are going around about teenagers and how they spend their money. That was very interesting. That uh, amongst other things, suppose, supposedly. Uh, teenagers Supposedly. are spending, <clears throat> yeah, the millenniums, they're spending a lot less money on things like clothes and more money on uh, food and events. And really? when we were that age, man, you poured as much money as you could into clothes. But, yeah, and yeah, but, who, but who cared about events? And they're not, you know, they're not buying handballs, let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. Well, events, events used to take care of themselves, am I right? Oh, my goodness. They sure did. Self-organizing. Yeah. Yeah, I read an interesting thing that said millenniums, uh, millenniums, of, of far from being a monolithic demographic, mm-hmm. um, millenniums, much to the uh, much to the demographer's surprise, <clears throat> are much more likely to think that the woman should stay home and take care of. I the kids. heard this. They talked about this on Double X Gab Fest. I was very surprised to hear that. Do you have Isn't Do you have a reckon on why that is? Uh, I think it may be it, it may just be that generations react to the world in which they came up. You know, if you think about, I, 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 I obviously I'm fond of talking about the uh, the boomers mm-hmm. and what a what an execrable, um, you know, like awful experience the world has suffered under their leadership. But when you think about the boomers and their and their identity, their cultural identity as understood by everyone when they were between the ages of 16 and 26, mm-hmm. right? We all thought that the boomers were anti-war, uh, music-loving, pot-smoking, free-loving, uh, like progressive people who were tearing down the walls and building a building an advanced new society. And by the time they were in their thirties, they were Reagan, uh, sort of Reagan Democrats who were, who were investing in the stock market and going great gangbusters. And now they, the exact same generation, it makes up the Trump universe. And it's like the, um, you know, the boomers are not monolithic Mm -hmm. and they react, they react to their time and, and, um, I think the millenniums are probably tired of being called millenniums, first of all. Yes. And um, also, uh, there's no such thing as Bernie Bros. We should all, we should all know that. Oh, those are all bots, right? Yeah. Well, I heard, I heard those are bots. Hillary, Hillary invented it. Um, 
It's racist, basically, to use the term. Oh, that's that's very offensive to the Bernie Bros when you call them Bernie Bros. Yeah, well, that's the thing; they don't exist. So, do you don't think it's call cult- culturally inf- insensitive, John? I think so. I think it's appropriative. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. But uh, but so right now, I think you've got a lot of uh, millennials that were probably raised; they were probably educated in public schools where the platform, the education platform was developed by people who went to college in the early 90s. And the kids are tired of being lectured at and they want a return to some kind of traditional thing that never actually existed, but that they imagined did. You know, well, and that's true. That's true for me, too. <laughs> I'll, I'll, parrot, I'll parrot what I heard on that podcast, which is a very good podcast. Slate's double X gap fest. Um, but what one of their, <coughs> one of their reckons, they had a couple angles. One is that this is a, one thing that makes this particular study, I forget the name and source of it, but one thing that makes this particular study so valuable is that it's been around for a very long time. And they've asked this exact, particular study, the study from which we learned how many millenniums uh, seem to want stay at home wives, the men. Okay. Mm-hmm. That this is a very long, like, I want to say longitudinal. I don't know if that's quite the word, but this has been going on for a long time. Like, every year they ask this, or something like, what, 20, 30, 40 years, they've been asking these same questions to the same aged people. So, in some ways, it's very effective, but in other ways, maybe not. So, I'm not sure exactly how it was worded, but it could also be a backlash type situation or a, not backlash, that's a loaded term, but. Yeah, maybe it's backlash, but it's also probably, yeah, you want stability. You know, when when suddenly you went from, like, everybody you knew had parents that were married to everybody you knew had parents that were divorced, you know, that seemed like that. It's just normal now. Just, you know what I mean? And, like, maybe there's that yeah. desire for, I don't saying it's right, but that could be where it comes from. I wonder, do you, did you have mostly kids whose parents were still married or mostly kids whose parents were divorced when you were growing up? Mostly, mostly married, and I think that had something to do with race, middle class status, but also that we were church people. There weren't that many divorced people at our church. Did you read that article in the Atlantic magazine about the uh, about the fact that um, that people on both sides of the political spectrum are going to church less, and that uh, conservative people who actually still go to church tend to be more accepting of different races, tend to be more, um, huh. you know, like l- less politically radical and more um, seeking, you know, like a kind of Say reasonable Christian solution. values? <laughs> Christian values, right. <laughs> and they're saying that what's, what, what people expected was that, you know, the, the tendency in the past, even until recent memory, even I think now, is to mistake um, radical, like reactionary conservatism and racism and all that stuff to associate that with evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but in fact, it's not true. As And, and so, the, so when we would read statistics about like people becoming secularized, fewer and fewer people going to church, mm-hmm. we always made the mistake of thinking that that was going to produce a more like uh, like a more progressive society because we we naively thought that leaving the church meant that you left it because you were what becoming more evolved. Um, but in fact, people are leaving the church and just descending into, uh, like a, 
like a miasma of their worst impulses. And the people that go to like they it wow. said that seventy five percent of uh Trump voters considered themselves Christian but did not go to church. And that uh this and I think a very, very large proportion of people that did go to church voted for Ted Cruz and 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 you know Trump they can they held their nose. This is this is an article called Breaking Faith. Yeah. Okay. And then likewise on the left, right, the churchgoers all voted for Hillary and the non churchgoers, people that didn't go to church, overwhelmingly voted for Bernie. I bet so you a, leave a, the church a, yeah. and you and you head to the outside is what happens. You get more extreme, not less. It just also depends on how you want to slice the cake, you know, I mean, or it's almost it, it, it is a kind of um, political, polit, not political gerrymandering. I mean, I guess that sounds really obvious, but if, it depends on how you choose to, like, cut up these sections and, you know, what pieces, mm-hmm. how far until it basically becomes like some kind of crazy fractal. Because, well, sure, a lot of people who go to church voted for Hillary Clinton because a lot of black people voted for Hillary Clinton <laughs> and a lot of, I think, still you know, amongst Democrats who go to church, I bet there's a pretty good chance a lot of them were going to vote for Hillary Clinton. A lot of them maybe are in unions. Am I being too broad here? I mean, that kind of support seems pretty straightforward. The, the Republican candidate support is a much more complicated thing. And I that the idea that these are people who consider themselves Christians but don't go to church, that does not surprise me a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's the old, uh, like, traditional values thing of, like, what what tradition what tradition exactly what tradition I what mean, values yeah uh, yeah right but no i do feel like the the idea the idea that the church was the source of intolerance was a very popular <sighs> such a sampling notion. error total sampling error yeah. i mean it's it's the loudest the loudest loudmouths are those people and like it's it's be- it's a constant annoyance of mine. It's it's not popular in my particular community to have any tolerance at all for religious or spiritual thinking, mostly. Right. But like I, it's very frustrating to me that everybody who's spiritual or religious or deist in any way is is now I might be doing my own straw man here, but I feel like there is very much like a bozo bit thing where people just write that whole group off as a bunch of nuts, and it's like ah, that is so unfortunate because so many of the best people I know and have known my whole life are very faithful service oriented humans it's it's a really it's it's a pity that they get tarred with that same brush well and i i just wonder what i wonder if they're like the idea that that secularism was the goal uh that we were that we were aspiring to a, a world dominated by reason and that reason would produce the reason inevitably produced altruistic action. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that whole question that you, that you hear a lot in, in debates on 4chan, uh, which is <laughs> if there's no God, then why be good? You know? And I think that, I think that, uh, Secular people always assumed that, you know, that the that that a world of reason produces people who behave, if not, um, if not like. Uh, well, I, I guess this is the problem, right? If 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 you believe in a um, in a vengeful God or in an ultimate like a uh, 
an afterlife, your justification for being good is self-evident. If you believe in a in sort of a rational, scientific-based life, also your desire to be good or your rationale for being good is self-evident, uh, but but much more difficult to describe in a sentence, right? I mean, and and it isn't just like uh, selecting for the best possible outcome. It it, it kind of goes hand in hand with being. Educated and understanding collectivism and sort of et cetera, et cetera. Um, but how, what a surprise that we would be in a, at a juncture now um, so soon after that. So soon, so soon after, I mean, I was educated to believe that. And within my own generation, to be in a position where I'm like longing for the days that most Americans went to church mm-hmm. and had and had a weekly reminder to be good to each other, a weekly reminder that because what they were saying is that people in church are less likely to be racist because they understand that we're all brothers in Christ. Oh, yeah. Right. I, there's, They're there's much all, more likely to, to see that logic. A weekly reminder to be kind, a weekly reminder to, to be grateful, a weekly reminder to sing. Weekly reminder to put on a suit. I mean, there's a, mm. a lot of a lot of good secondary effects. Um, God, you just broke down some serious science on me right there. A weekly a weekly reminder to put on a suit. A weekly reminder to sing. Yeah. A weekly reminder to gather together in a fucking hut somewhere. Yeah. A big house into the big house. And when that's when that's missing, sure. Why don't we all just become as you know like as gross and grubby as we can there's no we don't all have to stand on the steps shake the minister's hand and say loved your sermon this week or have him say haven't seen you in a couple of weeks like wow mm-hmm. how is that replaceable merlin well, it's 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 definitely an interesting thing in San Francisco, where I don't know if you're aware, <clears throat> there are a lot of uh, people of, of different sexualities, gender assignments, you name it, and like there's like not too far from where I live, there's this big giant purple lesbian church, like it's just a big old church where everybody's welcome, but you're especially welcome if you're a lady who likes ladies, and uh, they're they're very vocal and they're very religious, but they're also very lesbian, and like that's there we are fortunate to have a lot of places even still uh i don't want to get into san francisco but but the people are do still they good. worship a, do they worship a jesus-based religion or is it more of a uh like a yoni based no I, uh, well faith. i don't you know i don't think so i mostly just see it on the way to the grocery store sometimes but you know there's a fair amount of that in our neighborhood there are a lot as you can probably guess uh for some reason there seems to be a lot of attraction amongst Let's put it this way. There's enough Chinese people who are Baptists to have several churches. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a fair amount of Protestant, like just down the street, uh, like really two blocks from here, there's a, a mostly Chinese-attended Christian church. There's like a, a fair amount of them around. They're not huge. Um, some of them well, might sure. be... The, my next-door neighbors are Vietnamese Catholics, and they have very strange ceremonies in the yard sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, uh, that's not the people who sing, is it? Is that the karaoke people? Mm, no, that's the people. Those are the people across the way uh, who are a very. Uh, I'm not sure what their religion is, and it's and it g- gives me it gives me pause. Periodically <laughs> troubling. Because, well, you know, this yeah. is I 
I don't want to secularize this too much, but, you know, first of all, yeah, you know, there's lots of ways that you can end up having the equivalent of church once a week. For some people, maybe that's going to AA, or for other people, maybe the small number of people who still bowl or whatever it is. But the community aspect of that, I, I sorely miss the community aspect of going to church. Um, mm-hmm. It was really, really just the best to be a little kid where there were just endless events and just super nice people and eating together. And that was just, it was, it was almost, I don't know. I mean, like you wanted to go. It was, it was, of course, you know, you didn't want to get dressed on a Sunday morning. It was kind of a pain, but like, it was just part of what we did. But with that said, I mean, this is another nice thing about San Francisco. Maybe this goes on in Capitol Hill, but like when a lot of gay people started coming here or were out gay people starting really in the 60s and 70s when everybody moved over the hill to, to get away from the heroin to what was then called Eureka Valley, that became almost like a, people started forming their own families, right? They, there's that idea of like, you can generate your own community. You are not stuck. You don't have to always be stuck with a community. Somewhere you will find people that you can call family and somewhere you will find a building that might as well be a church is all I'm saying. But I, you know, the thing is, I, I feel like we're going to get a lot of letters from people that are like, "Try Unitarianism." Have yeah. you ever been to the, have you ever been to the uh, Theosophist Society or whatever? Yeah. And I, and I think what's interesting about the the church as the the other role of the church is that it wasn't optional. You know, we're we're. T- I think there are a lot of there are a lot of opportunities for people that are. Um, that that feel like they want that in their lives to find a find a thing that suits them, right? Whether it's a big purple church or whether it's um, Zoroastrianism or whether it's AA or whatever. But what was so important about the old church was that there was all that social pressure, which we now consider to be, um, you know. A, we are now liberated from, right? Yeah, I mean, there's this no, is there's the no whole longer thing. a cultural expect, expectation that you can answer the question, what religion are you? Yeah, or that you be expected to do anything. I mean, I still read articles all the time, and I read a lot of ads for, like, the Untuck Shirt Company or whatever that still make it seem like, oh, the day that we could wear our fleece pajamas to work was a day of liberation for us all. Like, the great... The great un... I read some article or some interview with Richard Branson where he was like, I never wear a tie. That's that's a power move. That's a total power move. Yeah, it is. And it's also... It's still this like like, That is a privilege. That is a totally... Forgive my saying. That is a totally privileged power move to say that and then act like everybody else is allowed to do that. Well, and that's... But that's his brand, right? But the the idea... And I I still hear it all the time. I hear it from people whenever I say, please don't wear flip-flops on an airplane. I get 25 emails oh, from people who are like, why are you trying to intrude on my comfort or something? Mm-hmm. The, and the idea that we don't, that all of these, uh, all these things that we've eliminated, all these social strictures, mores, um, what we, what we once called polite society, that that was all, you know, the, the, um, that, that now we can dismiss like with a broad brush as, Again, you know, you pick your intersectional word and apply it here. But in fact, like everybody in a town was expected to go to church, not by any higher authority, but just by their neighbors, by the general sense of of the way that those towns were collectively organized. And so you didn't go, you didn't pick your church due to affinity. You didn't say like, I'm going to go to this church because they, because it seems fun. 
or because I feel like I need companionship or I need a little bit of structure in my week. Mm-hmm. You know, you went to church because you were expected to go to church on Sunday and you dressed in a suit because you were expected to show up correct. And it's that like, getting, was... it's like, like wanting to, waiting for the right DMV. It's like, well, no, we got to... <laughs> Just gotta go. I, don't you know, overthink it. New, don't overthink it. Just go. New, there's a new DMV that really caters to people that are just like me, it's and I really feel comfortable yeah. there. I sit in that DMV, <laughs> and they're just playing music I really relate to. And somehow, the idea that to be released from any and all expectation that you um, that that's externally imposed, so that we can all be completely self-determining we've pursued this idea for the second half of the 20th century it didn't even exist in the first half um or at any time prior but the idea now that we should each of us or or that the highest good for each of us is that we all find exactly what we personally want we all tailor our our rss feed to be the news that that appeals to us most and we each have our own playlist, um, and that that is some kind of that that's the freedom we've all been looking for, uh, and it's just producing a like more more fury at one another and more like, less understanding, less love, basically, yeah, um, and not more is, I mean, it's a shock I think to us all, and a shock even to me. It's a shock to the whole notion of like. Um, that if you have universal education and you have uh, and you have freedom uh, to make art, like what you, what that will produce is this enlightened society, and what it has produced is is the opposite. I mean, how, and what point do we stop and take stock and say we? I mean, you know, none of us want want structure imposed upon us well it, it, to me it's part, it's part of what makes the idea of a personal dmv so funny is like that's not what the dmv is for it's particularly not that it's an economies of scale issue and it's, it's an imperfect analogy but one uh, note i've gotten at least a couple times when this topic has come up here or elsewhere is nice a friendly note from a often church going life life lifelong church going person uh, saying, you know, uh, this isn't really that complicated. Like, why don't, instead of like sitting here and making continuous, continual lists of like what your perfect church needs to be, why don't you just try going to a different church? Like, one, just even if you're not a church going person, just try going to a church in your neighborhood. Like, find a church near your house that you can walk to, even if possible. But whatever, just go, just go and check it out. And when I hear that from people, I, uh, I always think that that's such an interesting idea. But it also it reminds me a little bit of a running bit on Back to Work where Dan and I talk about, you know, in my case, like how I've thought and read way more about meditation than I've ever actually meditated. <laughs> and I think that's a very similar phenomenon. When like the last mm-hmm. thing you want to do as somebody who's interested in meditation, the last thing you want to do is read about it. You sit down and you do it. And, yeah. and in this case, you know, I, I, I'm not at advocating for this, but I think it's an interesting idea to say, well, if you've got a temple near your house, I bet they'd let you come right in there. You might have to learn oh, a little sure bit. You have to put some shoes on, but like maybe you mm-hmm. go to the Chinese Baptist church, like whatever, like there's no church that is going to say you're not allowed here. That would be very, maybe not no church. That'd be very, very anti-church. It's not a very churchy unless thing. It was like, unless it was like one of those white homeland churches. <laughs> I would go there. I'd try that. I bet they got, the, uh, got good mac and cheese. 
One of the things that I think that happens, and 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 some of our listeners may have experienced this, when you first go into uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or some kind of like recovery program that's based on on that notion. And I'm not saying that our listeners necessarily have done this themselves, but maybe you've experienced this when someone you knew uh, went into that kind of world, is that after you're there for a little while and it really starts to take and you feel this euphoria of, mm-hmm. of, um, of like enlightenment, for lack of a better term, there's a period where you really, you know, you become very evangelical and it, it's, and you wish, I remember doing this myself, you wish that everyone in the world would have had such an awful problem as being an addict so that they were forced to come to this place. Uh, this place of understanding. Because, you know, what you're describing, what the religious people are saying, like, go to a church in your neighborhood, it requires, again, some affinity, some seeking for the for that experience, right? I mean, if you're looking for a church, it's not hard to find one. If you're looking for something to do on Sunday morning, it's not hard to figure out what to do. You just go, you know, go in your neighborhood. But what's What's fascinating about AA is that that's not what you're looking for, right? You are, I mean, what, what the reason you end up in those places is not that you were looking for a gathering of like-minded souls. Um, you were trying to get high and you did it until your life came apart. Whoa. I never thought about and, it that way. It's, you know, Buddhism, there's this idea of eventually having less of a sense of self. And in some ways you, you don't, you don't, necessarily end up going to AA because you want to make it all about you. It ends up being useful because you realize you're part of something bigger, right? Yeah. And and you're not there by choice. No one goes to AA by choice. You are forced there. And if you go there, if you, I mean, generally, if you go there by choice in the sense of like, you know what, I'm going to be an AA, it's not going to work. Or I mean, or you're not alcoholic or something, you know, like, and people that are forced to go there by the courts, it doesn't work there. It doesn't work that way. Either. Right, 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 right. You are forced to go there it's by like making somebody go to the gym. Yeah, it doesn't work. Right. But if you are so, I mean, the, what works is like, you just had a heart attack and your doctor said, if you don't get in shape, you're going to die in a year. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, and so, what? What? When you go to when you when AA works, it's not that you got there and you met a lot of people and they're, they're your new best friends. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, when I went to AA, and I think this is kind of universal. You look around and you're like, oh my god, these are the worst people in the world. Literally, the were the last thing I ever wanted to do was be stuck in a room with alcoholics. But you're there because you have to be. And that's when the religion aspect of it or, you know, that's when the mean what's meaningful about it becomes super duper profound. Um, and you and there's a moment and there was for me, certainly when I was about six months sober that I said, God, I wish everybody could could have fallen as far as I fell because the only way you could feel the way I do now and have this sort of insight is to have gotten to that place, to have been, to have bottomed Mm -hmm. and, um, and now like to sort of see 
that we could all be, that we're all perfect children of God. Um, and we just need to do the work. And, and that is what's, you know, that was what was so profound about frontier religion or, or religion, I guess that you would call primary religion, which is that it's not happy fuzzy. It's not there because it wants you. It's not there to make you feel better. (laughs) No, it's not about you at all. It's not there to say like, um, Hey, what are you doing this Sunday? Come have some food. It's like, did your, did like seven of your 11 children die? Um, well, on Sunday, you know, like you can sit quietly in this pew while somebody talks and and feel briefly relieved. But but at that time, that. It, I mean, in that time, at that time in that community, those kinds of communities were being very general here. But like there was, I, I would have to guess, much more of a cultural imperative to be a church-going person for a variety of reasons, not least of which is people probably aren't going to come to your shop if they think you're not a Lutheran, right? There's (laughs) that. But then there's also like, you know what? You really, and you need to know the gossip. You need to know who's in and out. And, uh, but you also need to know for the frontier stuff, you need to know like the news and the rules. Like if you're not going to church, you could be seen as a counter-revolutionary. Like you, you need to be here and like knowing what's what. Well, th- yeah, exactly. And think of all the think of all the cannibals mm. out there who who <laughs> never actually ate anybody because when they were inspired to, yeah, uh, they remembered whatever passage it is in the Bible that says, "Thou shalt not eat anybody." Okay, <laughs> right? Didn't see that coming. Yeah, sure. And sure. And nobody knows those passages anymore, and cannibalism is rampant in today's society. My daughter's reading a comic book about the Donner Party right now. Very funny. It's a very funny it's... story. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Sorry, I need to take off your very serious topic. Oh, no, no, it's good. But, you know, guys, seriously, whether or not you consider yourself a religious guys. or secular... You guys, don't eat people. Come on, seriously. Guys, guys listen. real talk. I can't quote exactly in the Bible where it says don't no. eat people. You know it's going to be the Old Testament. You know it's going to be like a Leviticus sure. or a Numbers or a Deuteronomy. That is a lo- that's a long-standing problem. You know, right? there's, a lot, there's a lot of duplication in those books. It's all, it's very confusing. It's like the Cimmerillion, or <laughs> maybe the Cimmerillion is like it. <laughs> um, to part on a happy note, uh, please go look in your Skype robot dingus, or I could text it to you. Did you see what I sent to you? Uh, it was a thing. Was it a uh, Amazon gift card? <laughs> no. I wanted to say... Well, then you, I'm not interested. Well, okay, here's the thing. If you have a, <laughs> if you have a field anywhere and you're wondering how to use it... Uh, I just texted it to you as well. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you how to use a field, according to me and my daughter. If you um, have an empty field. You got an empty field. So, you know, maybe you're not going to play handball. You know, maybe there's not going to be organized sports. You're bowling alone. What's the matter with Kansas? Turns out. All of these kinds of modern things. Here's what I'm here to tell you. If you were to round out, if you took every toy, my child has had a lot of toys. If you took all of her toys, and I had to just say out of all of them, which one have I personally enjoyed the most to the point where now it's really more my toy than her toy? I want to introduce you to the Zing Skyrippers. Zing Skyrippers. It's a little, a little plastic handle 
with yeah. a rubber, very sturdy, rubber tubey rubber band on the end. You grasp it in your hand, and then rubber using, rubber band. using this very aerodynamic, super light rocket with a whistle in it, you okay. hook it onto that rubber band, and you shoot it. Most I, I generally get pretty close to 80, 90 yards. You're kidding me. It's and it it's whistles. The best whistle, and I'm pointing here to the triple pack. You don't, you could get the single pack. We have two triple packs, so we can do multiple flights without having to go collect them. This thing yeah. is so freaking fun. If you get the wind behind you and you rip your Sky Ripper, you're going to be a happy guy. You're going to be glad that field's empty because it's going to really so, go, brother. So what happens when you do this? It's actually described. It's called ripping. You don't, you don't fly it. You rip, you rip a Sky Ripper. Well, I'm not in a club or anything. I don't have a vest. But like it, for right. us, it's just a fun thing. We got on a, it might have been a stocking stuffer we got for her. And it was so much fun that we have over the years, of course, you eventually lose them or they break. But I, I'm just saying, I know you're a person who has enjoyed rockets and shooting things and fields. This could be, this could be right in your wheelhouse. Sky Ripper. I'm going to go rip a Sky Ripper. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start ripping Sky Rippers right now. Do you, do you think that, I mean, how many times do I have to do it? Before we do get vests. Oh, now this is a church I can get behind. Right? You know? Yes. The, the, yes. The Sky Rippers. Yes. You've got, you got potluck meals. There's community service. Maybe we have songs. But mainly we this just go out, that, <laughs> you wear a suit into a field and you shoot rockets Sunday mornings. This picture of this kid that's shooting the Sky Ripper, he's got his baseball, his mesh baseball cap on backwards. It's pretty dope. And I love that look. Like vests. Yeah, mesh caps on backwards, <laughs> obviously ties and suit pants. Yeah, sure, like a gentleman. But you, you know, you develop your own personal style, just like you'll develop your own personal personal style for how to shoot your ripper. I like to shoot mine, of course, at a forty five degree angle, and I give it just a little bit of whip to the to the wrist as I let it go, and Ooh, it is deeply deeply satisfying. We've done. We've gone to the field at the school near our house, and I I can typically pretty easily get seventy yards. Um, which is you know not too not too shabby. No, no, no. That's not that's not shabby at it's all. Very, it's a it's, very very satisfying thing to shoot a rocket down a football field. Okay, well, I have a I have a very big field available uh, right over here, and I'm going to get a sky ripper, and I'm gonna I'm gonna rip some uh, rip sky. Some, rip some sky. <laughs> <sighs> Don Rickles. Oh my God, I miss him. I. I spent, you know, we used to listen to Rickles in the in the van when we were on tour. The uh, and, his live sixty eight live album, the Hello Dummy. Yeah, we. I mean, every 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 live Rickles we could get. Uh, in <sighs> fact, there was a there was a time when I had a I had a little gaggle of uh, gal pals, and um, and they were a bunch of uh, they were they were shit talkers. These gal pals, <laughs> different from the fly and, girls. These were very different. Although one of the gal pals was a former fly girl. Interesting. Whoa, hmm. Very came all the interesting. Way back around. Uh, but this uh, gal, this group of gal pals, uh, I used to call the Rickleses. Oh. Because they were su- they were such uh, they were such potty mouths, and so and they played the dozen so hard that I was like, you guys are a bunch of Rickleses. And then they adopted uh, the Rickleses as their um, as their little uh, gang gang tag for a while. But you know, I, uh, obviously he's a he's a character from a from a time before. But 
Uh, the other night, I sat and watched uh, Don Rickles on Johnny Carson. That's all uh, I've been doing for three like, days. There are so... Or, I had no idea there was so much Johnny Carson Tonight Show on YouTube. It's incredible, isn't it's, it? I've been texting with friends like over the whole weekend. We've all just been sitting there watching like Burt Reynolds, Dom DeLuise, Don Rickles, just watching these yeah. panels. But the Don Rickles stuff is gold. And they're repeating themes. Johnny's a millionaire who, who, who hates people. Don never yeah. has a successful TV show. It's so <laughs> yeah. freaking funny. Oh, he's going to, uh, you know, he makes a line and then he stands up and he's like, well, I'm done here and starts to walk <laughs> off the stage. He does that every time. But uh, I, was, I was talking to our friend Sean about this because, as you know, Sean, Sean is, is, is a fan. And we were yeah. trading some of our favorite non sequiturs. Um, what was his when he, he says to Paul Schaefer, why don't you put a skate on your face and go skate? Yeah. Oh, Sean says that all the time. <laughs> Put a on your face and skate. Here's a couple other of my favorite ones. You're looking at me like I'm a chemistry set. That's good. Uh, what am I, yeah. a Mau Mau fighter pilot? <laughs> I hope you wind up in a wheat field with fungus on your elbow. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it means nothing. But he gets remembered for like, oh, boo, politically incorrect Don Rickles. The best part is the speed with which he could deliver so many non-repeating non-sequiturs in such a short period of time. He would come up with so much bananas stuff that made absolutely no sense. Yeah, put a skate on your face and skate. Did you, have you seen the one where, uh, where Letterman, uh, <clears throat> Rickles is filming CPO Sharky. Oh, he broke, a, when, he, when he broke Johnny's uh, cigarette box? Uh, oh no! Oh, that is that. That's what it was, right? It was. It was. It wasn't he had been hosting the night before, and I know. I'm sorry. Bob Bob Newhart was the host. Rickles was the guest, and he starts banging on Johnny's desk and broke the cigarette box that he'd had on his desk <laughs> since the show moved to L.A. <laughs> and then the next night, he's Johnny's talking to Doc. Yeah, and he goes interrupt CPO Sharky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty great. Uh, if you got the Netflix, uh, there is a, a John Landis did a uh, did a movie about Don Rickles. I think it's called Mr. Warmth. That's really good. Oh, really? Oh, that's John Landis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You can buy I, it on iTunes, but it's, I watched it last night for the third time on uh, Netflix. You know, Rickles is an example. As uh, as we entered into this we- weird. Uh, era that we're in now, and I don't mean to use the word weird. Because, no, no, no. Because uh, that, that's that is, the wit you're going to hear from the Wiccans. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that's right. Uh, uh, but but that that difficulty that you and I and a lot of our friends, a lot of our era, you know, Dan Savage had this problem. This making this transition to a world in which words had all this extra power uh, to to shape people's lives words could damage as well as fists and then as time went on sort of words became more damaging than fists and we all had to monitor very carefully what we were saying in order to not do damage to people and rickles is like a not just an example but like the prime example of an era when um when it was the the idea was just very different and and don obviously was not um don was was like not a racist and don was not a um he didn't he wasn't trying to hurt people and he used awful awful language in ways that that scald people's ears now but and in, and in fact, fairness, I think you, you could not. I think it, I can completely understand a hundred percent why somebody would be offended by that. I don't think he believed that in his heart. I think that was a, it was a bit. 
he didn't believe it in his heart and all of his listeners understood you know like like there was and 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 you know the, this has been written about a thousand times i'm not making a case but it's an example i think of not being able to judge history on contemporary terms you know you can't go back and say the founding fathers are i impeach the founding fathers on the you know because they were slave owners or because they didn't uh, you know, I impeach Christopher Columbus because he was a mass murderer, and it's even like, then that you know, was considered bad, John. A uh, mass murder, mm-hmm. yeah. But Christopher Columbus didn't set out uh, uh, to sail the ocean blue with the idea of mass murder in his heart. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like Christopher sure. Columbus was trying to find a back way to India. We've heard the stories, um, but you know what I mean? Like if you try and if you try and look at Don Rickles and say. And and judge his work on contemporary terms. You just can't. It's a it's other it's otherworldly. No, I mean, you just try, try that for Richard Pryor. I mean, would you want to throw out the work of Richard Pryor because of those standards? Like, I hope not. Well, they've been trying to throw out Mark Twain my whole life. Um, and when I say they, I mean you know us. the uh, the, the uh, liberal uh, coastal elites. The liberal coastal elites have been trying to, or, or or the or the Christian demagogues of Oklahoma. You know, everybody's trying to throw out Mark Twain. <laughs> no, I don't, that's a club. I'm not going to get that vest. I don't want to be in that club. <laughs> I bet they don't even no, have sky our, rippers. <laughs> our our vest is Sky Ripper Club, and that's yeah. that's the only vest I'll wear from here on out. That's mm. where I'm. That's where I'm going to be Sunday morning. Mm. We need a song. Rip mm. the sky, sky ripper, sky rippers. Mm, get a big Ripping organ. That sky. Um, will you try this? Will you try this product? Of, what? Will I try it? Yes. yes. I think I'm you're really going to like it. I'll order it right now. You know, I've been meaning to get Amazon Prime, and this is the reason. All right, do it. This is this is this is finally my reason to get Amazon Prime. To you get can probably get it as a religious write-off, given that you're creating a church now. Uh, oh, absolutely right. You're uh-huh. right. Well, you know, I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to resume my policy of writing off everything that entertains me, even slightly for a moment, because <laughs> I'm in show business, and so entertainment is it's all a write off for me. Hey, if you're not happy, the audience ain't going to be happy, right? Mm-hmm. Right. My happiness is is preeminent. That's why I'm wearing this fleece onesie with a hood on on the airplane I'm taking tomorrow. Oh, it, yeah. You're gonna wear you're gonna wear your flip flops. <laughs> Flip flops and a onesie. Mm. Flip flop and a onesie, and the onesie has animal ears. It's like a, um, you know, let's be honest, it's a sex onesie. Mm. 